Welcome to That's All, a weekly debrief about anything and everything happening in fashion and pop culture with Cozzy and Em. I'm Cozzy. And I'm Em. And welcome to this week. This week is very fun because it's BAFTA's day or BAFTA's evening, celebrating the biggest and best in British film. But first of all, how was your weekend? It was a good weekend. I spent yesterday with you, so it was oh, yeah. <laughs> naturally <laughs> enjoyable. We haven't seen each other for years. So long. No, just genuinely been like 24 hours. It's been a long time since I felt rejuvenated after a weekend, like actually relaxed. Oh, wow. You felt rejuvenated after your weekend. Yeah, you didn't. I felt rejuvenated after like hanging out with you yesterday and like <laughs> being women women of empire. But yeah, yeah, I would say yes. Yeah. I feel like some weekends end and I just, I feel like I can't walk another step yeah I was ready to go this week I just don't love Sunday afternoons not my favorite time Sunday of the week. scaries or yeah Sunday scaries when it gets to like four o'clock on a Sunday and I'm like have to not talk to anyone or do anything that's why I am firmly of the belief that Friday nights are so much better than Saturday nights not Friday just for like going out the they're so good because you have no responsibilities for two days ahead you have the promise of the weekend yeah the promise of the weekend is so that the hours of like 3.30 to 5 o'clock on a Friday, you cannot manufacture that high. Stunning. Like you're like, I'm so close. I'm so close. And then from 5 o'clock, you're like gorgeous. I'm either going out, I'm like going and doing stuff or I'm at home. and have no responsibilities. Exactly. That's why I think people need to go big. I'm very a big believer in going big on a Friday. Being hungover on a Saturday and then having Saturday evening and Sunday to recover. Like being fine. Someone was trying to convince me the other day that a Thursday night is a new Friday night. And yeah, I some people think that. Get around that. You have to go to you have to go to work on Friday. Yeah, yeah but sometimes you work from home on a Friday. So I've have gone oh. out and had a bigger night than I would have originally planned on a Thursday. Did that once on a Sunday night. Never again. I got home at like four o'clock in the morning on a Sunday. It was terrible. Like it was a really fun night, but I was just like that froze your whole week. It was horrible. I think it was like Wednesday and I still felt terrible. I was, and I think we all did. Like everyone who was the last standing at this party, everyone was just like, I wanted to die. Actions, consequences, but it's a good story. It was great, but it was just like, I don't know how this happened. It was so weird. Anyway. Anyway, do you have a rec? I do for this week. So my recommendation this week is, I don't know if people have been watching our feud, Oh my gosh, I've been wanting to. Okay, so it's fantastic. Uh, and I'm usually of the belief that I don't love Ryan Murphy and I'm not a big fan of like the Ryan Murphy extended universe, except for the politician I really enjoyed. But anyway, so he's done his latest season of Feud is about Truman Capote, obviously the legendary writer, and the women that he was friends with, like the Swans. So like Babe Paley, CZ Guest, Slim Keith, Lee... Oh my God, I'm going to butcher her name. Lee Radziwill, uh, Jackie Kennedy's sister. So he was basically best friends with all these high society women. And that he wrote a sort of expose about them, very thinly veiled. And it's all about their falling out and their friendship and stuff in 1960s, 1970s New York. The original Dan Humphrey. Genuinely, (laughs) but like a bit more classy than Dan Humphrey, but also way more of a nightmare. Like I'd at least I'd want to be Dan's friend. You couldn't fucking pay me to be friends with Truman. Sounds like a fucking nightmare. But it's this really great show and Tom Hollander plays Capote and Naomi Watts plays Babe Paley. Diane Lane, goddess, plays Slim Keith. Chloe Seveny, also goddess, plays CZ Guest. Callista Flockhart, also goddess, plays Lee Radziwill. Demi Moore plays Anne Woodward. Molly Ringwald is in it as well. It's just like everyone who's everyone who's everyone. Yeah, that's a huge cast. Is in it. I don't think I've missed anyone at this point. So I've been watching that. 
But the latest episode I haven't watched yet is the black and white ball, which is this big ball that Capote threw in New York in the 1960s to honor his friend, Catherine Graham of the Washington Post, the publisher of the Washington Post, uh, played by Meryl Streep in the Spielberg movie, The Post, for those who are uninitiated. And so he throws this party for Catherine and she's like, we're not even that close. Like, okay, sure, throw this party in my honor. And it was this huge thing and everyone had to wear black and white. So very like Cruella. But Candace Bergen went, the actress Candace Bergen, and she was like 21. And her daughter, Chloe Mal, in real life is a writer for Vogue. And so she interviewed Candace about going to the ball. And oh, it was I this love hilarious that. article of Chloe being like, so mom, like, what was it like going to the ball? Da, 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 da. And she's just like the worst person to be interviewed. And Chloe's like, can you just tell me like it? She said it was like a trying conversation. She couldn't remember much. It just, it was hilarious. It was just like, not even an interview. It was just like a mum and daughter having a little like tiff. For example, she's like, how were you invited to the ball? And then Candace is like, I don't remember. I was invited like everybody else with an envelope. It wasn't a last minute thing. Chloe's like describing all this stuff from the ball. And Candace is like, how do you know all of this? And she's like, I watched the show. And then she's like, what show? <laughs> so it's just like this conversation that just sounds like insane. And then Chloe's like, were you team Swans or team Capote? And she was like, I didn't care. Oh my God. And then she's like, how did you know Truman? And then Candace is like, I barely knew him. I met him at a thing. I was 20. I don't know. I couldn't, and she couldn't remember who was on her bus getting to the party. She had no idea. Just that she went and she looked, you know, amazing. Chloe was like, did you know a lot of people? She's like, a few. I was overwhelmed. There were like 300, 500 people there. Just the, the answers are just terrible, but it's really funny. So I feel like for added context, not that you get much, it was a nice accompaniment to like watching the swans. I do love Candace Bergen. So I love her so much. I think that's really fun. Yeah, and I love Chloe and I'm really enjoying the show. Even though I was talking to my mum about it and mum was like, oh, it's just, I find it so bleak and you know, everyone's smoking and it's just so sad. And I'm like, yeah, it just really makes me want a cigarette. In 60s New York. Yeah, she's like, oh, it's just so stifling. I'm like, yeah, I love it though. Yeah. She's like, it's just so sad. And I'm like, yeah, it's sad, but it's still really, you know, interesting. It's part of it. You lean into the yeah. stuffiness of it all. But Truman, what a little shit. Like, I love a gossip, but... He was openly gay, wasn't he? Yeah. In the 60s. Yeah, yeah, Does the show I mean, touch how, on that how, at how, all? like, he was as openly gay as you could be yeah. in the 60s. But but they all knew, like... And he'd joke and he... There's this, like, amazing line in the first episode, I think. And I'm not going to say it because it uh, involves a slur. But it's... He calls himself the, like, F word. And then it's... But it's part of, like, this big rant that he has. He's like, if you want to call me a horrendous F word do it i'm the most horrendous f word like out there so i think everyone knew it was an open secret not even a secret i think it was just open you can kind of get away with it when you're friends with the yeah like he's on the upper echelon of society everyone has a you know everyone has a mistress or a or a secret gigolo as it were in their closet yeah but that is what i am recommending this week what about you fun mine is like slightly less fun and glamorous and glitzy and it's also a two-pronged trek Great. Because I read an article from Ellie last year in The Cut called The Flashman Effect. Oh, this is Flashman in Trouble. Yes. Have you yes. seen it? No, but we represent um, Taffy, uh, okay. the author. Yeah. But I really want to watch it and read it. You need to. Because okay. it's got Adam Brody in it and I love Adam Brody. Yes. And Lizzie Kaplan. Amazing cast. So based on a book written in 2019 by Taffy Bredesa-Ackner, who is a writer for the New York Times as well. You've yeah. probably seen her name around. She did that wonderful article last year about 
the joy of a Taylor Swift concert. Oh, that was her. Yeah. Slay Queen. Yes, Mama. Yes, huge. Girlhood is a spectrum, but yes. It the book was adapted for TV in 2022 with yeah, it's got Adam Brody, Lizzie Kaplan, Claire Danes, Jesse Eisenberg, Josh Radner. It's so good. God, it's like every brunette guy from like the 2000s. Literally. Yeah, slightly scruffy brunette man. Love. It's essentially about a midlife crisis, but from like different angles. One of the characters goes missing post-divorce and it kind of comments on gender and parental roles and the way we're much more indifferent when men have midlife crises compared to women and mothers. That's because anyone who's a man is like a dime a dozen in a crisis. <laughs> like genuinely. Even like quarter life crisis, I'm like, oh God. Oh yeah. I feel like women are much more prone to have quarter life crisis because you get to 27 and you're like, not that I'm speaking from experience. <laughs> it's a little insight right now. Yeah. yeah. I would never be so bold as to have a full crisis. Um, but yeah. I think we are kind of trained to preempt our crises better I feel like we're just very like get on with it even if you're in the middle of a crisis you're like but I have to go to work I have to like go do my thing and it does touch on that that how especially mothers they just have to get up and keep doing their thing we're not divorced we're not midlife but we love crises so you would like I am severely not um what is it quarter life still thank you very much very quarter thank you but it also speaks to the idea of like self and ambition and all of those things that like we are grappling with right now so have you finished the show finished the show i watched it like a year ago and i rewatched it fairly recently i love really easy watch it is it can be a bit depressing but all the best content is all the best content is all the best content is therefore what am i doing if i'm not slightly depressed watching something exactly and i'm a if i'm sad i need to watch something sad or like listen to do something you, sad i have to make myself happy immediately i can't do this sad on sad i'm a wallower i love wallowing i will give i give a time limit i'm very much that was the most virgo thing you've ever said i don't yeah i'm like time's a ticking i'll give like myself a night Okay. And then I all like sometimes if I'm crying, I'll be like, 10 minutes, babe, let's go. Depends on what I'm crying over. But yeah, it's usually I like to just, uh... although I will say, yeah, when I, I watched have... Heartstopper, I can stop crying <laughs> for an entire night. The I first season of Heartstopper. It was so heartwarming. It wasn't even sad. It was just like so emotionally draining. I sat on my couch. Well, not my couch, the housemates, the, our house couch. And I just wept. Oh, wow. Like fully wept. Obviously needed it. I know. I think it was probably a culmination of a bunch of shit, but it was that came out while I was watching Heartstopper. I think crying is the best catharsis. Well, I got teary the other night watching One Day, but have you finished it? No, no, I haven't. I don't know if I'm going to. You have to. I just to. don't know if I can emotionally. If you're listening to this and you were thinking about watching. You still need to watch. Don't listen to Cozzy. It's just because I'm really it's so emotional. I'm really enjoying it. I cried. I got teary in one scene of episode 12 and then I cried at the end of episode 12 because of a music choice that they used that got me, like punched me right in the gut, stabbed right in uh, the soft belly. Bullet to the... It was a bullet to the heart. Yeah. And then I cried and then I... Because I listened to the, the song again and I gave myself the song and then I dried my tears and I went to bed. Time was up. Yeah, time we was weren't up. sad anymore. I had really bad dreams, and then I was like, "Oh, it must have been because I watched that." Well, you need to finish it. Just like you had bad dreams because you don't have closure yet. 
Oh, is that why? Yeah, that's oh, exactly okay, cool. why. Thank you. <laughs> but anyway. Thank you, Freud. <laughs> Back to Fleischman. Yes. I found this article very recently, but it actually came out last year, mm. called The Fleischman Effect by Caitlin Moscatello, where she talks about the wealthy New York set. Is her name Moscatello? Yeah. That's such a cool name. It is. It's like Muscatel's like the grape, like the dried grapes. So bougie. Sorry, anyway. But she talks about the wealthy New York set and the insane pressures on these women to like run themselves ragged, just trying to live a very particular Life. lifestyle that's until like they the, die. And that's like the swans in feud as well. Yeah. Like very similar. And it looks very like wonderful and high flying from the outside, but on the inside they are... Dying. Yeah, they have yeah. no soul because they're just trying to keep up this manhattan look no soul but you live in new york babe yeah so and that's kind of what this article touched on it mentioned a bunch of real women and friends of the writer who are all navigating the same issues oh now i really want like by name no she's changed the name okay um it's like is she capoting them amazing change the names but they're all grappling with the same issues in the tv show okay of like identity and motherhood and the way they can't they know they can't complain because this is exactly what they signed up for. I mean, I feel like you still can though. Yeah. And that's what this article is saying that like, even if it's not, even if it's like what you expected, it can still be shit. You can still have a really bad day. Yeah. These women in the article were saying that they felt really validated watching Flashman because you don't get content like this that makes you feel like you're allowed to just feel a bit down for a second when you are so wealthy and privileged and living such an elite life. Flashman also touches on kind of, um, the life paths that you trade in when you make a choice. Like if you make a decision in life to whether it's become a stay at home wife or pursue a career or literally whatever decision you make, you like close yourself off to like other, a million other choices. That's what's just so hard about like living. I think sometimes like I lie awake at night and I'm like, Oh, I remember like when you could have been an archeologist or like when you (laughs) could have done this or you could have done that and da, 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 da. And I'm like, Oh, and I get so overwhelmed at like, the million different things you could do yeah that I'm like well I'm not gonna be an archaeologist because I don't have the training I'm very happy living in Australia I don't particularly <laughs> like want to go to like Libya and like dig up some stuff even though I'm like because I think I just romanticize everything that I'm like do you I haven't noticed you haven't noticed that <laughs> wow it's a really small part of my life <laughs> I'm like I'll be an archaeologist but I won't have the reality of it I'll be like Rachel Weiss yeah in the mummy and I'm like definitely I just want to be like I think it's like you know in Sleepless in Seattle when she's like you don't want to be in love you want to be in love in a movie it's like well, I want to have every career in a movie not the reality of it yeah I want all the fun like showy parts of it where yeah. I get to put on the little outfit and go to the, my little job and like I would love to be an assistant because I'd be an assistant in the Devil's Prada or I would love to be a journalist because I'd be a journalist in well, either all the president's men or like how to lose a guy in 10 days confessions of a shopaholic i mean please i would be a maid but i'd be made in manhattan don't know about that <laughs> i love that your head's there but yes yeah wedding planner i'd be a wedding yeah. planner yeah i'd be like the put upon maid of honor in 27 dresses oh a thousand percent i mean james marston i mean oh my god that movie did things for the culture yeah no one, talks one of my about favorites. It. No one talks about it. Justice for Catherine Heigl. That's all. I mean, add her to the list. <laughs> add her to my list. Justice for fucking Brendan Fraser and Catherine Heigl. Thank you very anyway, much. Anyway, we've gotten off topic. Back to Flashman. <laughs> but yeah, that constant existential conflict of I could do this, but I could do this. But if I do this, I can't do that. Welcome to why people need therapy. <laughs> exactly. And Flashman touches on that a little bit 
but from like a middle-aged perspective and it touches on the people who kind of settled down and had a family then went oh shit I actually am not enjoying this at all because it happens and it's like and it's hard but it's like I get it yeah okay I'm really keen to read um watch Flashman and read that article now that sounds really also because I know that you are like me and that I love this kind of story where it's like most people just roll their eyes and go, oh, like first world problems, mm. no. perils of wealth. There's still problems. It is. And also it's like an anthropological study. This is yeah. social studies. It always reminds me of, did you watch The Nanny Diaries? That yeah. movie was, you know how she's like an anthropologist. Yeah, And then exactly. they always have those scenes where she goes through the, what's it called, museum. And, yes. And the, the kids and the parents are the exhibits. Where, where's Scarlett Johanssoning? There's a book that's similar to that that I think I read like, 10 years ago. Is it The Nanny Diaries? No, it was... Who's it written by? Wednesday Martin. It's called Primates of Park Avenue. Oh, I think I've heard about this. Yes, it's really good. And the author is an anthropologist and she... I. It was actually my first introduction to the Birkin phenomenon, this book. Oh, oh you didn't know the, about the Birkin? No. Oh, sorry, I'm like, you didn't know about the Birkin? Dude, I was like 14. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> They turned it into a TV show called Odd Mum Out, I think oh it was. Oh my God, how do I not know about this? Um, I don't think it ran for more than like two seasons, but it has Abby Elliott in it. Oh, from The Bear. From The Bear. I was about to say, I don't know anyone in this except for her. Her and then Andy Buckley. Who's Andy Buckley? Um, he was in The Office. Okay, I've got to be honest, I never finished watching the... Oh, I know him. He was in the show I was obsessed with that got cancelled. Um, oh, my was God. It? What was it called? The Lion Game. Oh, my God. Is that the one with the, tw- yeah, the twins? The twins. Oh. Did you watch that too? Yep. Oh, so good. The way that that <laughs> ruled my life for a second. That was – it was very – I think it – oh, it's because it was written by the same girl who did um, Pretty Little Liars. I feel like I watched it in between like when Pretty Little Liars was on like a season break yeah. or something. I actually like – yeah, there are shows where I still think about like – them getting cancelled and I still think about that because it ended on a really good cliffhanger. He was the dad in that. Sorry, anyway. He was also in Veep and Ladybird. Yes, he was... Um, Man's been in everything. I feel like he played one of Selena's boyfriends in Veep. He's been in He's been in a bunch of stuff. Yeah. He's got one of those faces. Anyways, that that's kind of another wreck. Primates of Park Avenue, the book, I and then Odd Mom Out, the TV I show. I love that that's how you found out about the Birkin. I don't know when I found out about the Birkin. I must have been quite young because I did an assignment on them when I was 13. Well, it was technically, it was the Kelly, which is the other bag. But same diff. Me and my dad made a 3D, we print, like on the Hermes website, you could like make your own Kelly and we printed it out and like made our own little paper one. I'm obsessed with that. Yeah, it was for, an, it was for an assignment. We didn't just do it for shits and giggles. Oh, uh, although we totally like- would have, but it was for an assignment for d I think. That was good. Anyway. Yeah. Anyways, um, that's sorry. like nine wrecks in one. <laughs> Amazing. But going across the pond now from New York to London. Um, <laughs> London Alexa, play London Boy by Taylor Swift or don't actually. But today was the BAFTAs. Um, so the, the British Academy of Film and Television. Very, very exciting. Britain's big night out. So David Tennant, love of my life. Uh, not really, but one of them I've had, a, you know, everyone at this awards show I've had a crush on at least once at, during some point of my life. So David Tennant hosted. You really are like a little British gal. I'm a British gal. 1000. Like, yeah. If they were brunette and tall and had a speaking role on a show or movie in Britain between 2009 and like now, chances are I've had a thing for them. Um, so David Tennant hosted. 
Oppenheimer was up for 13 nominations and swept the board, winning, well, not everything. They won seven awards, including Best um, Film, Best Actor, Best Supporting Actor, and Best Director. And The Zone of Interest took three awards. Jonathan Glazer's Holocaust film, they won Best Sound, Outstanding British Film, and Best Film Not in the English Language, because confusing it's in German but Jonathan Glazer is a British director and I really want to see the zone of interest anyway uh Mia McKenna Bruce took the rising star award which is voted for by the public she's really fun she was in the Dakota Johnson version of persuasion oh she was like the sickly sister who was really dramatic and she was also in this another film another show that was cancelled before its time this great show on Netflix called get even which was kind of pretty little liars-esque about these three girls who take on like a blackmailer at their school. It's really good. Uh, so she was, she won that. Uh, and she was up against Phoebe Dinover, Jacob Elordi, a bunch of other really great stars. She was one of the lesser known ones I would have said. Uh, Prince William was there. He's the to president. He was sitting next to Kate Blanchett. Michael J. Fox was there. He presented an award and his documentary still was nominated. He's so lovely and sweet. I love him so much. So Oppenheimer won best film, best direction, best actor in a leading role, best supporting actor, best cinematography, best editing, and best original score. Saltburn won nothing. Killers of the Flower Moon won nothing. I was sad that Saltburn didn't win anything, but they were up for more awards. At least Rosamund Pike was nominated. Jacob Elordi was nominated. They were nominated for best original score. Um, I thought it was, I know that we're all a bit like, you know, oh, whatever, he, you know, winning again. But Robert Downey Jr., I thought this is really cool. Tonight or today marked his second BAFTA win, but his first BAFTA win was 31 years ago. Wow. For Chaplin, when he played Charlie Chaplin. Lots has happened. Yeah. Well, I mean, particularly like in his career, he's yeah. basically the, no one's really had a career like him because he was so like at the top and then on the bottom and no one would touch him. And now he's like a god. At the same time, I've loved this award season for Robert Downey Jr. because he's been the best campaigner for Killian Murphy. Yeah, and also he gives the best speeches every single time. And he's fun on a red carpet. Yeah. He's not stiff like a pretentious board. No, I agree. I just love Robert Downey Jr. Like, I love his life. I love his, like, redemption arc. I think he was, like, a total shithead. Like, he was his character in Less Than Zero for, like, many years in the, like, 80s and 90s, which is why Sarah Jessica Parker left him. But I love him. There were some great presenters. David Beckham presented Dua Lipa, Hugh Grant, Chiwetel, EG4, Idris Elba, Gillian Anderson, our queen, Andrew Scott, Sophie Ellis-Bextar, queen of our hearts. Amazing. Performed Murder on the Dance Floor. As we've said before, we've always been a stan. I don't want to hear these people who were like, love Sophie after all this time. No. No, we've, we've always been we've here. We've been here for years. Yeah. We backed her since the beginning. Do people remember her contribution to the Centronian soundtrack? You should. You should. Do people remember Groovejet? No, but you should. Everyone should remember Groovejet. It definitely plays all the time. <laughs> anyway, um, but really great though. Four out of five um, best British debut nominees were women. None of the women, there were no women in several categories, including adapted screenplay, cinematography, original score and sound. Always a bit to improve on. Barbie won nothing Yeah. as well. Um, not overly Am surprised. Am I surprised? No, no. I did figure that Oppenheimer would win. I feel like Oppenheimer is like the 1917 of this year when 1917 won every single category at, at the BAFTAs particularly because they, they do favour British films. Like Killian Murphy was the first Irish-born oh. 
Oh. Person to win leading actor. Hell yeah. So huge. Huge. Big night for the huge Irish. Night. Love the Irish. We got the Irish as always. All of our strangers didn't win a thing. That's okay. I don't really have an interest in seeing it. I just like them a lot and I love I know. sad movies. I just think I got really traumatized watching um, After Sun. But like this is giving After Sun. I loved After Sun. I had to go cry in the bathroom at the cinema after After <laughs> Sun because I couldn't, I didn't want to cry in front of my friends because my friend Sarah was like weeping. We were all crying in the cinema and then we went outside and Sarah was still crying. And I was like, I don't think I can do this. And I had to go to the bathroom for a few minutes and just like pull myself together. Need a little moment. No, I loved it. I don't think I can ever listen to Under Pressure again after that. Amazing movie. If you haven't seen it, Amazing Another Wreck, Paul Meskel. It's an explosion of fatherhood and loneliness and just like existential angst. Go see it with all your friends. It'll be a real riot. Yay, the Irish. Yay, the Irish. But it was a really good, yeah, it was a really good ceremony. David Tennant was a great host. He did a really funny bit at the beginning with Michael Sheen. He never ages. The man is the Paul Rudd. He's the Paul Rudd of Scotland. An ageless beauty. He's also in one of the best rom-coms. Have you seen The Bride Decoy? No. With Kelly MacDonald? No. Okay, let me take you on a very, very brief journey for timing. Another wreck. He is this author who is engaged to be married to this like actress woman and then they decide to get married on this really remote Scottish town for reasons and he falls in love with Kelly MacDonald who's like the kind of spinstery Bridget Jones of the island and it's hilarious and it's got Bridget Jones's best friend Shazza from the movie in it and it's got um Marks and James from Ugly Betty in it and it's just a great movie but he's such a good romantic lead why does he not do more romantic dramas and romantic comedies so we love the BAFTAs and the fashion I felt this year was quite good it was I feel like everyone went a little bit more left of center than they usually do I think so I think the Brit like British red carpets are just more chill so people have freedom to play and a bit fun I think so and I think it's not as much pressure as like the Golden Globes or the Oscars so people are just like in for a penny in for a pound quite literally I liked it and I think I'm saying that I thought it was good fashion because I liked more than I hated, to be honest. There were still some hideous, heinous crimes on that red carpet, but it was like mostly Who did you love and who did you hate? Loved. And there's probably going to be some crossover in our lists and I will like say those as well. Yeah, you go first. Um, Taylor Russell. She's a Loewe girl. She looks incredible. Harry Styles' girlfriend for the unacquainted, beautiful, we love her. They've never actually confirmed, but they are together. They are together. They are together. And also confirmed this week that he's not No, he's got his hair back. People are like, it's a new era. I'm like, no, it just looks bad. He's at this football game. My dad texted me about it, actually. He said, um, OMFG, Harry Styles is at the Luton game with about seven exclamation marks. Anyways, Taylor Russell, Devine Joy Randolph incredible i thought that was this huge yeah that was custom robert one robert one yeah robert one amazing thought she looked incredible uh and then jillian anderson always looks good she was in beautiful emerald green don't know who designed it she just looks great in everything put her in a friggin paper bag and we know what she looks like in like office wear because she did it for like 12 seasons in on x files and she looked amazing super sexy love her um as for the men i thought they were a bit boring but common domingo oh 
Oh, he just does the most. He doesn't win awards, but he wins on my on my carpets every time for me. He does, and he always wins for personality. I'm like, yeah. thank you for giving a he's genuine interview. He's just being there. He's just excited. Yeah, he's just excited, and he's passionate about his craft. Oh, I love it when they're passionate but not douchey about the craft. I'm like, not everyone has to be Daniel Day Lewis. You exactly. don't have to be like, I went to go be a cobbler, or like, you know, I spent two years perfecting my Elvis voice. Just like, be excited. Be excited. You love theater. You love movies. You love cinema. And now we're here. Fun. Exactly. Exactly. So they were probably my picks. What so, about you? Oh, so many. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I've got to be honest. My top picks for tonight are interesting. Lily Collins. I love her so much. She looked amazing. I don't know what designer it was, but she kind of had this like dark gown with these big sleeves and she loves the dark lip. Like I'm obsessed with her color paletting. She always goes for what works. She, yeah. It's all quite similar. But it always looks so good though. Like I can't fault it because she does it so well that it seems different every time. And I thought Kate Blanchett and Armani looked gorgeous. Did you know? Her, she had this like weird fun body chain thing. But and it was recycled or yeah, something. Yeah, made it? from yeah. last year's necklace. Because all of her, every single red carpet thing she does is recycled or reworn in some way. Her and her stylist, Elizabeth Saltzman, are super into doing that. So I loved what Kate wore. I loved what Carrie Mulligan wore. She was in vintage Dior. I loved what Daisy Edgar Jones wore. This amazing Gucci outfit the gucci red gucci rosso if you will (laughs) the like the kind of shiny shorts with the gucci logo but this really like low cut top i could never wear the top but i could wear the short i couldn't wear either i thought it was a little bit 2013 but the good parts of 2013 and i think that wasn't helped by her like ombre hair her regrowth was very 2013 is it regrowth or is she intentionally doing ombre i don't know i like i want it to be regrowth because if it's intentional that's terrible but also if it's regrowth and she hasn't fixed it for the baftas i'm also concerned um i thought phoebe dinever looked gorgeous in actually really nice louis vuitton i thought common domingo was great loved taylor russell loved what rosamund pike wore but i felt like i enjoyed it more at the Vogue after party she looked better at the Vogue after party I loved what Paul Meskel wore like it was fine um I loved what Barry Kogan wore let me switch my emotions to that I liked what Paul Meskel wore I loved what Barry Kogan wore I loved what Sandra Hula wore and I loved what Sharitha Chandran wore who needs to get more love for Bridgerton and I hated there were a bunch but I didn't write them down because I felt like I wanted to lead with love today rather than leading with hate but there were there were many that I there were many that I hated. I'm sure. Yeah, there were uh, lots of rough ones. Didn't like Emma Stone. I didn't mind that, but I hate that color. She was wearing this like big. I also don't like asymmetry. She was wearing this one sleeve, big puffy sleeve thing, but it was coral. You know how yeah. I feel about coral. It was a beautiful like intricate dress, but it just it. I liked all the buttons funny. on the side. Yeah, very Edwardian. It was just the color that was a little bit. Wasn't it? Oh, and I hated what Margot wore pink and black very Avril Lavigne it also made me think of the dress that Olivia Rodrigo wore to the Grammys like oh my god you're so right the curve one yeah the Vivian, yeah, 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 the Vivian Westwood yeah so true it was like black with like a pink kind of like yes I hated that and I hated the yes you were so, I knew what reminded me of something uh but it, yeah it was I mean I love the BAFTAs you know me I love an award show I know you don't, but I feel like you enjoyed this. We've had fun chatting. Yeah, about I was it. actually like pleasantly surprised. Oh my god! You know who we both we both hated? Um, Io. Oh, that really upset me that I didn't like it. She was wearing um Bottega again. Coral. Uh, yeah, I hate no, coral. I'm not here for coral, and it just it. 
I love Bottega. It wasn't fitting. But every time someone wears Bottega, there's something slightly ill-fitting. And I felt that about this. Even for the men, like their pants will be slightly too short or their jacket will be slightly too boxy. Yeah. Um, And this was no exception. Then she had that like weird like white shawl thing. It reminded me, but it looked kind of like weird and like... And opera gloves. Like I liked the opera gloves, but I felt like the shawl was sort of... It looked like one you just buy at like the reject shop. Yeah. It reminded me of when Kim wore Marilyn Monroe's dress, but she wore that kind of shitty shawl with it and you're like if you're gonna do Marilyn Monroe's dress wear a great shawl and it's like if you're gonna do a nine like you know classic Hollywood look have a better shawl yeah I just I've loved everything she's worn so I was I really wanted to love this and I really tried for like half an hour and then I just realized I didn't like it but it's always next time yeah and I thought she looked great when she was wearing all Bottega when she did SNL so I thought an all Bottega look again would slay but it, it, it didn't but speaking of fashion there's been some stuff going on. We need to talk about the state of the modeling industry this week. Oh, don't we always? Because Paloma El Sessa, she is a plus size model and we've also spoken about her here and there. She's definitely been mentioned on the podcast before, for sure. She was part of the massive Edward Edenfall cover from shoot. last week. But she rose to fame on Instagram like 10 years ago and then was picked up by Pat McGrath, the makeup artist. Oh, we love her. And that was almost 10 years ago. She was 22 at the time. Wow. And has since become a mainstay of the fashion circuit. You will see her everywhere, every fashion month. And she's definitely one of the most well-known models in recent history. She's written a piece for The Cut called The Price of Being First, where she talks about how she was recently awarded model of the year and she really didn't want that title because of the doubt and in, and hate that she knew would follow. Which is so awful. Something like that should be such a celebration. Exactly. And she spoke about how she's, after winning, her social media was filled with people arguing Kanye West said it was a ploy to push obesity on us. Oh, because everyone should listen to him. Everyone should listen to what Ye has to say, but... People were saying that she was a diversity pick and so she basically disappeared off social media for Which a little while. Which is so gross. Awful that you can be at kind of the peak of your career as an early 30s woman and have to vanish off social media, the thing that made you famous. But she's come back with this article to basically say, quote unquote, is it all that bad if we start to believe we're deserving of something? And she spoke about how she's grappled with imposter syndrome and the very unique struggle of working in an industry that is so heavily image-based but hasn't historically included people that look like her. Yeah. And so she also spoke about how fat phobia has had a renaissance recently and she said she finds that confusing because for years – we were being told body positivity is working. Look at this movement. We're accepting more bodies. We're accepting more women. And then suddenly Paloma's being platformed, but she's also the only one being platformed. And every time she makes an appearance, it's met with very loud praise, but also very loud disdain. Because then, and then as soon as it's, it happens, it's over. Everyone's like, oh, that was a moment. It's done. Okay, bye. It, it's a really, really good article and it's great insight. And basically she comes to the conclusion that she's here to stay. Yeah, she doesn't care good. who she pisses off because this is – if she disappears, then it's actually going to do worse for other people. And it's a really selfless act of her to go, no, 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 I'm here to stay. But I think we don't think about when people like are, to use a phrase, like trailblazers, how hard it is to actually blaze a trail. 
And you can't quit. Like when you're the first person, there's no one to fall back on. There's no support there really because you're the one changing things. You're the one that people will go to for support down the line, but you don't have that. If you drop out, people think they've won. Yeah. They've got you. You're done. Exactly. And I also think it plays into this idea that I think about this so often where fashion loves well-packaged diversity, but not genuine representation. So we love to see Paloma on a runway, but it's in the same silhouette, the same style that she's always wearing because brands don't know how to do clothes above a sample size for a runway. And then there's also this attitude of we'll put you on the cover but keep your mouth shut or we'll put you on the runway, but we won't protect you from the vitriol that we know is going to follow. We're not going to put you in a room with other plus size models. This is just you. You're, it's literally the diversity tick box thing. Classic tokenism where yeah. we just aren't ready for representation, but we need people at the forefront going, hi, like things could be better. Yeah. And that's like someone like an Edward Enifal who yes. was taking genuine strides, obviously in a very difficult environment because Vogue and Condé Nast and like those big corporations that own all those magazines where we see models and we see articles and we see campaigns is so conservative so it's like you can only make so many strides but at least like he was trying to do something fashion is this huge huge monolith but it's people are trying but it's so difficult it is difficult and we need to give them space to just breathe if Kate Moss won model of the year we actually wouldn't think twice no, I just looked up the previous models of the year and I didn't realise that Naomi um, Naomi Campbell won in like 2017. I'm like, she doesn't need to win anymore. And Paloma says like, the pride in being part of a list of firsts is fading. Being the first curve model for a campaign loses its significance when a brand fails to open its doors to the fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh. It's like brands like Victoria's Secret. Exactly. I remember for Victoria's Secret, it was a big deal when they included Cara Delevingne on their oh, I remember fashion that. show because yeah. she was like an Australian size 10 or something, like an yeah, Australian size ridiculous. 9. Same with um, Barbara Palvin. She, what? She's built like a child. Literally. Me? She had slightly bigger hips than the norm and they made it so known that they were including someone who was like outside of their cookie cutter. Angel. I love, side note, I love Barbara Palvin like so much, but she's that's beautiful. fucking insane. Also Cara Delevingne because she's so thin. I remember that because I used to be obsessed with Cara Delevingne. And it, oh yeah, naturally you're a, a teenager in the 2010s. Yeah. But it was around this time, like 2015 or so, that Paloma was picked up right. by Pat McGrath and and God bless found Pat. her feet in the modeling world. So imagine that's the industry you're walking into where they're like, oh my God, look at this big girl and it's Cara Delevingne. So the fact that she's, Paloma has proceeded for as long as she has is commendable. The fact that she is model of the year makes so much sense. But also like it like because of that, because she's been around so long and like has had all this hate and all this stuff and you know, no one it seems like no one wants her there, even though so many people do, but it's like of course you see the haters and the people who are, yeah. you know, dragging you down. So it's like if you win model of the year, it should be like, fuck yeah, I'm proving everyone wrong, but she's like hating herself for it. Yeah. She must get sick of it as well because every single runway they'll put her in this like polyester, like stretched material maxi dress. It's the same thing every time. You're not. It's like people have a body type. You don't have to. You can do different things with it. It's like. And that's the joy of fashion. It's like how Sofia Vergara would always wear the same fucking dress on every red carpet. I'm like, oh, another strapless mermaid thing. Really? Wow. Great. Okay. This is what I think is interesting about fashion at the moment because there are brands 
who still treat their models like coat hangers, like they're just putting clothes oh, on this no personality. Yeah, yeah, on this flat girl, yeah. telling her to walk down the runway with nothing going on. Then you get the yeah. Margella show where it's what well, I was. I was literally about to say. I was like, I hope you're talking about Margella. Interesting, yeah. and they're using their bodies, and they're it's a performance, and they're making clothes for people and to accompany people. And it's even like um, shows like Batshiva Bat in New York. She's this great designer. I've wanted one of her dresses for so long. But she cast all her friends. Yeah. And like, yeah, Molly Ringwald was in it. But also Molly Ringwald's like a 50-year-old woman who doesn't have a model body. She's just a woman. Brands are just so scared of the backlash because they know that when you put a fat person on the runway, you're going to have people going, oh my God. And they just don't want to deal with it. So they'll put one on there just to say they've done it to appease the mags but I also think for them it's not just a creative choice it's like they have stockists and backers and are they owned by LVMH are they owned by Keering not everyone is obviously but it's like with those bigger brands at least who were they pissing off who's powerful who would buy their clothes or how can they survive as a brand because the, there's so much as well recently that's happened and been discussed around like actually being able to have a brand and maintain a brand and what it, that costs so I think for so many people, it's like just getting a collection if you're not a major brand because smaller brands are where you would see representation. Yeah. And, and it's like, like, well, if if it's so expensive to even put on a show, priority number 500 must be who they're getting to model it when fabric is so expensive or things like that. Like, I feel like if I was a designer at that point, I'd be like, just put them on whoever. Like, I don't care. There's no platform for representation if these bigger brands aren't taking risks and investors see what the big brands are doing and go well they're successful and they've done it this way so you little small brand should probably do it the same way and it's just this cycle yeah and then if if small brands are fighting to survive anyway how can they even hope of representing when they're just fighting for survival like you have people who are skipping meals to go run around the garment district to go make shirts or whatever it's like the system needs a rejig clearly that's my biggest gripe with the world is that we just we undervalue creative industries so that means that the only people who can make it in them are the wealthy and the elite so the art everything we consume the art the film the fashion everything it's created by the elite so it's only the elite stories and we're not letting other people in. That's the industry. And it's just there are people trying to break the mold and say, hey, like we could actually be doing other things. But they're the ones who are the minority. And we're going, no, 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 just sit back down. Yeah. And I think we really saw that with COVID. Oh, where God, like yeah. arts funding is first to get cut. It's the first thing that we go to when life is shit. Oh, we were all on Netflix during COVID. I want to watch TV. I want to watch a movie. I want to listen to this music. I want, you know, it's like we can't do that when it's not being valued. Exactly. And as well, like you know independent films really hard to finance documentaries also really hard to finance you have to go scraping the barrel it's basically like you have to go and like to be honest to use very dramatic terminology you basically have to go and like prostitute yourself 20,000 different times because you have to write how many you know proposals that then get rejected but you have to keep repackaging yourself and repackaging in 500 words or 600 words or 400 words or 750 or what's the what's the gist of this or what you know what do you mean here how can you really meaningfully do this and it's like well if you give me the money maybe I could really meaningfully do this but I can't do it if I'm not invested in yeah because you know you know not everyone can fucking remortgage their house to make shit happen you know and when you have people like Sophia Coppola who talk about how it's really hard to get funding I'm like Sophia Coppola though like 
how are you finding it hard to get funding? So yeah. It's like if people like that are finding it hard to get funding, how can how could we ever go make a film? Yeah. How can anyone breaking into Where the industry? Where are my dreams of winning Lion Oscar? Exactly. It's also frustrating because then we have this issue of fashion is so expensive and it costs so much to like sample something and create it and put it on a runway and then sell it to buyers. Suddenly you're only selling your stuff to the rich people who you are you might be a part of. Well, that's that's couture. Yeah. You know. Couture, but also Ge- oh, g- genuine collections. Like yeah. it's gotten to the point where like it's actually re- the prices. I know it's luxury goods, so like talk about first world problems like we were talking about before but it is that thing of like it's just so unaffordable now it is like even last week when we were talking about that Gabrielle Curry for Johnson profile and I was like I covet that Prada top she's wearing that top is four thousand dollars a top like you no one can just go and buy a four thousand dollar top these these brands used to be slightly something you could achieve if you really worked like it's just it's so unattainable no. no and so creatives are working for the elite they come from the elite and it's just this world that i love i adore fashion oh my god i've been preaching to the converted 100 percent on a, a podcast day in my life when i'm not thinking about it talking about it dreaming about it trying to live it moodboarding it yeah living it all of this goes back to your upbringing as well because if you're if you want to get into fashion or music or art or any kind of like cultural scene you need to be able to devote 100% of your time to study which you may not get into the schools that you want to get into especially in America where it's going to cost you and it's all up front it's all up front here we're a bit luckier but even then if you're doing a fashion degree you don't have time to work you're doing that seven days a week and to get those like soul-sucking jobs, you need to intern. To intern, you need to have money coming in to pay your rent and your livelihood. Yeah. And if you're a designer, you need a studio. But so much of the time, it's like you can't afford a studio. Your house is doubling as a studio and you know your showing room and your house. Like it's just insane. And so many brands are folding now because it's just you can't maintain this. Like one sample dress can cop- cost up to a thousand dollars and putting on a runway show it could be between fifty thousand and five hundred thousand and that's for emerging designers it's ridiculous and it's it's i feel like it's very similar with to use a really weird and like clumsy analogy so we've got lvmh and caring which are like the two big conglomerates that own major brands right so if you're thinking about this in terms of like and maybe another digestible way for at least people who live in sydney lvmh and caring are like the merivale of fashion so you have Merivelle who owns Toddy's and Jimmy's Falafel and like all of these places all these big places that everyone goes to in Sydney constantly heaving but then you have these independent small places that are finding it really difficult to survive and more and more places are shutting down and it's like because they can't survive because places like Merivelle are thriving so much but it's like this big homogenizing of the dining scene and it's the same thing with the fashion scene and it's like, well, yeah, I'd love to go, you know, Merivelle's easy and I know it's a guaranteed good feed and a good time, but maybe I'd rather spend a little bit more money and support like... Like a mum and pop store. Yeah. Something different. Like, yeah. I mean, but then you get other conglomerates like Swill House yeah. who were like 10 million and stuff and you're like, yeah, I want to support them. And I'm like, well, they're a mini conglomerate in themselves, but I'd rather support them. Yeah. But as well, it's like, do we have to... Can't we just have restaurants? Like, but it's the like, can't we just have stores? But it's like you kind of can't anymore because they come under these umbrellas because they need financial backing because it's such an unsustainable model and everyone's on uneven footing so you're not even going to know about all of the small brands and the small creators that are out there like you just simply can't know because especially now that 
so much of media is ad backed and it always has been but we don't value media like we used to therefore they don't get the ads that they used to and it's that old cycle it's a different world and it's like i didn't never realize because i had never like actually made a piece of clothing before but it's like you need a pattern maker and like a sewer to make a prototype and like all this stuff it's like all these people have to get paid yes all this to make one thing no wonder that no wonder it's so expensive when you actually think about it and it's never just one sample either you're doing this sampling process again and again and again like garments and it's like there's this really interesting article that came out um in the cut recently where they a bunch of designers talk about this emerging designers new york designers whatever and it's really sad because they're just like there's one part where they say so if i'm going to be making a jacket and a couple of tops i just budget which means compromising my lifestyle to fulfill fabric costs i'm watching my friends go to dinner and i'm like i can't afford to spend a hundred dollars on that meal and then fifty dollars on some cocktails and get an uber home i have to stay put because that's two hundred dollars that i need to import from germany talk about fomo but it's survival at this point it's such an insular industry that that's what you got to do to it's so unsustainable and then it's really you know it's expensive to support small businesses what's the word like slow fashion yeah as well and i'm like i want to support slow fashion like love that i love sister studios i love all those brands <laughs> it's expensive at the same time it's so expensive oh the wheel needs to be broken it's rotten to the core no you're so right it's right i i have no solution for this i have no kind no. of idyllic version someone just come up with a solution and we'll support it please or include us because we're totally like great brains trust we love fashion and we love people and we hate capitalism yeah sometimes not all the time all the time personally emily's all the time i'm more of a kind of a i can go either way yeah i can go either way i'm a champagne socialist I still love spending money <laughs> yes but speaking of um the elite and fashion oh my god what a segue the met gala best night of the year yes man. uh the dress code has officially been announced so the exhibition I'm sorry, had already been announced as Sleeping Beauty's reawakening fashion, but the dress code, which is different to the exhibition, uh, has been announced as the Garden of Time. Very intriguing. Mm. The co-chairs have also been announced, so the people who support Anna in putting on Anna Winter, in putting on The Met. It's this year Bad Bunny, Chris Hemsworth, Jennifer Lopez, and Zendaya. That's a weird it's group a, of people. I'm glad you said this. It's a weird, like, talk about... Like, What's Chris Hemsworth doing at the moment that he needs to chair the Met Gala? I don't know, but I'm also like, is Elsa Fataki going to be at the Met Gala? Like, <laughs> that's such a rogue combo to me. I get Bad Bunny because uh, he's kind of becoming a fashion boy. He did his Gucci campaign. Yeah. I get JLo because it's, like, the year of JLo. And now they'll, they'll have fun together, Bad Bunny and JLo. Yeah, yeah and I get Zendaya because, like... Yeah, she's making her Met Gala return. I'm so happy for it because she's been absent the last couple of years. She needs to be back. Zendaya, Zendaya. Chris Hemsworth, though. Yeah, it's very random. I, also, I love him. I like him. I've just never seen him wear anything but a black suit. But it's very exciting. So, so the exhibition, there's going to be a range of fashion on display that will date back to the 17th century. There's going to be this beautiful Elizabethan era bodice. And it's going to be talking about like decay and fragility within fashion. I think we've spoken about this and I thought said it was like very Miss Havisham. There's going to be different like sub themes in the exhibition like land, sea and sky. But the second part, which is the Garden of Time, is taken from this short story written by J.G. Ballard in 1962. Um, that author wrote The Empire of the Sun, which was adapted by Steven Spielberg into a film with uh, young Christian Bale. But it's basically about this short story is about this cow called Axel and there's a mob that encroaches near and nearer his house and villa 
in every hour to restore tranquility he must pluck a time reversing flower from his garden until there are none left the story ends with the unthinking mob descending onto the villa now a derelict property with a neglected garden in which a statue of the count and his countess stand entangled in thorny belladonna plants but it's slightly more symbolic than that the mob descends but he has to um, pick this flower and they retreat until the next day but then he's running out of flowers so he's just delaying the inevitable yeah so it's been interpreted in like a million different ways but it's supposed to be commentary on kind of like ecological apocalypse and and like human intervention with nature and because jt ballard is a satirist and he didn't explicitly write political content no that's so interesting he wrote a number of dystopian like sci-fi novels and he was quite quietly critical of capitalism not oh he wrote a story called why i want to fuck ronald reagan stunning respect amazing a funny guy but the fact that this gala like the annual display of wealth that we all love and adore has taken the title of this story but kind of ignored the themes of like the world ending and collapse and yeah it's very hunger games it, it's very Hunger Games. So they've taken the story, but then gone, oh, we'll just ignore the rest. I feel like that's what they do though. Like when um, AOC showed up wearing a dress that said Eat the Rich and I was like, I get it. And at the time I was like, Slay Queen, show them how it's done. And now I'm like, mm-hmm. Interesting. It is, very, it is very Hunger Games. I feel a bit like ill when I think about it like that because I watch the Hunger Games and I'm like, it's disgusting. How do they just sit there in their fancy clothes? And then I'm like, this is it. I'm very excited for the Met Gala. I'm very intrigued as to the chairs and the dynamic of that. But I'm keen for it. I'm preparing myself to see many bad florals. Yeah. It does make me think of um, Lily Ryan Hart a couple of years ago. She wore that yes, like baby pink. Camp. Makes me think of the Suki Waterhouse thing that she wore yes, last year. Like ethereal, sheer, florally look. Knowing the story, I'm wondering if designers, if some designers will be a little bit moody and gothic. Maybe. Well, I feel like with all the fragility and rotting and decay and stuff, I hope so. Characters in the novel, they're supposedly wearing like velvet and silk and stuff. So I think texture will be a big I'm thinking very like the um, medieval art that they did loads of in the 19th century with all the like women with the strong jaws and the long flowing hair. And they all kind of wearing velvet with like big belts and stuff. Pre-Raphaelite Brotherhood, the pre-Raphaelites were a group of English painters and they were sort of Arthurian and had these flowing gowns and dresses and they were very vibey. Like, you know that painting Ophelia where she's yeah. like, that's, that's pre-Raphaelite. Like, that's the vibe that I'm thinking of. That's what I would do if I was going there, um, personally. It's, it's a very, like, cerebral theme, but I think that's very on brand for Megal. Oh, Maybe that's just how yeah. we're interpreting Sometimes it. Sometimes they just can't go as literal as, like, punk, yeah. you know, or um, camp. Yeah, because it just doesn't work out. I sorry tangent I want to see Izzy Miyake and I don't know how they're going to do that or how I don't know how like you want an Izzy Miyake theme well they did it for Comme de Garçon and like Ray Kurikabo the technology of those designs is unmatched and the physical look of like everyone wearing some kind of like 3D garment it's like what they did with um Manus Ex Machina yeah technology and fashion yeah. it's that sort of thing where it's like there's so many different ways to interpret it but you could do Issey Miyake, 100%. I back that. Fashion and the Catholic imagination. Only the best theme of all time. That was That's the one. If I could go to one Met Gala, it would be that one. Yeah. 1,000%. I, I don't want to 
go to the Met Gala. I want to witness it as like a ghost. Oh, really? Yeah. No, I want to go. But I want to go in my own stead. I don't want to be a plus one. I can't be, you can't be a plus one. Like I couldn't just be like Benedict. You know how like random like celebrities' wives come? I don't want to be like Benedict Cumberbatch's wife. Yeah, like I want to be there. I don't want to be like um, someone who like, you know, just gets shunted down the red carpet. I'm a Kardashian sister. I'm a Ken, I'm a Jenna. I'm an event. I'm Rihanna. You'll wait 100%. until like I'm the end Lady of the night. Lady Gaga when she changed outfits three times in the camp year. Worst year of my life. Anyways, two months from now, catch us doing a Met Gala extravaganza. The Met Gala's going to be huge. It's the Christmas of fashion. It's the Christmas of my year. It's my. F- it's the first Christmas. And I will be just back from New York. So I'll be hopped up on Kool-Aid. <laughs> yeah. Jet lag and life and just excitement. But, um, that's all for this week. Uh, let us know if you like the fashion content or if you like more pop culture. We aim to have a balance, but I guess some weeks are more fashiony than others and some weeks are more headliney than others. It, it just depends on what, um, the celebrities and interesting people are doing and also what we feel like talking about. But so, let us know. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for coming on the journey. Uh, as we always say, remember to rate, review and subscribe. Follow us on Instagram at That's All Podcast. Follow us on um, TikTok. Tell your friends, tell your mom. Tell your friends, tell your enemies, tell everyone you know. And just have a lovely week. And that's all. That's all. Bye. Bye. Bye.